I welcome you all to this webinar on demystifying private equity. Now, moving on to our speakers, we have with us a panel of three brilliant IIMA graduates who have several accolades and honors to their names. Mr. Ayush Gupta, an alumnus of SSC base and the founder of Financial Management Association DU, has an industry-wide experience in strategy consulting, finance, and public policy, and is an incoming analyst at Strategy and Dubai. Mr. Anand Bordia has qualifications in CS, CA, CS, as well as LLB, and has worked for prestigious organizations like Ernst & Young. Mr. Shreya Satardigar, owing to his wide experience and knowledge, is an incoming strategy consultant at IBM. It is an honor to have you as the speakers of this session. We'll be first having Mr. Ayush, then Mr. Anand, and then Mr. Shreyas talk about their views on the topic. And at the end, we'll be holding a quick Q&A session. So over to you, Ayush, sir. First of all, no need to call me a third man. Like, I'm just a recent graduate. Yes, I'm not that old. And uh, I remember seeing a lot of these names during my recent workshop at CBS as well. So great to see you again, guys. Really fascinated to be here and it really takes me back because I remember we started FMA with a very lofty goal, right? We didn't know if it would pick up and when it would. Really nice to see that things have started moving along and really, really amazed to be here with my recent batchmates here as well. So Anant and Shreyas are here. They've been very kind to help us out with this entire session. So let's take it off the market and demystify private equity. And like Manus has already given a very generous introduction of us of all and like just to reiterate, I am a CBS alum, I was there with FMA. Anand is the most overqualified person in the room right now. He has every possible qualification you can think of and he would be the one to enlighten you with all the industry knowledge and pepper the entire session a lot more as well. Shreyas himself has worked with Credit Suzy and has wide experience, like there's nothing you cannot learn from Shreyas. So with this, we are proud to begin. And before we begin, we just wanted to understand pick your brain as to why do you think we're here? Like what's the end goal of the session? What would you be able to get away with? Or is it like you'd just attend this and you'd have some knowledge? So what do you think? Like just shoot out. There are no restrictions. We're not marking you. We're not evaluating you. Then no professors there, and it's a very safe space. That's the end objective of the session as well. So just shoot out whenever you feel anything. And this is sort of a platform from our side to enable you to understand what a private equity looks like. What is its structure? How does it create value? Why does it even exist in the market? Why is it even an instrument of financial growth in an economy? So this is the entire idea of the session. And this is what we'll be discussing. And bear in mind, you need not be having very high financial knowledge or even very much of an interest in finance as well. It's a very, very simple thing when we discuss it in its bare bones. And that will be the entire idea with which we'll progress. And we'll be doing it on a threefold agenda. First, we'll be covering the very, very the core basics of the entire session. And I'll walk you through it. Then the inner workings of PE will come from Anand. Like I said, he's the most core qualified person in the room to ask anything and everything. Like not only about private equity, but IB and anything related to finance. And finally, Shreyas will walk us through why uh, private equity actually exists. So what are the money matters that are involved in the entire thing? So with that, let's start with private equity one-on-one. And just tell me, guys, we call it private equity. But what is so private in this entire thing? Why is it called private equity and for that matter why have we even named the session of the market why is it not in the market or something like that what do you think did it what are the other forms of private financing that you know of or perhaps are aware of in the private equity sense like apart from private equity what are the different sense of private financing that you know or have heard about or even like read on linkedin like everyone's giving up so what do you think? Somewhere in the chart says uh, venture capital. Okay, yeah. venture capital, like in a very technical term, is a part of uh, private equity as well. But what else? What other forms of private financing are there? And I'm pretty sure those of you from commerce would have heard like tons of them even during your class 12th or something. So even though the NCRT GAN would be acceptable here. So, so People are engaging in the chat. They are saying distressed capital, angel investing, loans from banks, 
angel funds incubators okay wow uh, we have quite a lot of inputs and all of you are right on the money and what's great to hear about is that you've covered more or less all the basics like money from individuals strategic angel funding money from say somewhat more traditional forms of financing that is banks and now we'll be talking about private equity and what's great here and why i said it was great is because you've already covered what are tape various types of private equity financing is in so venture capital in its traditional or say technical form is a form of private equity as well a leveraged buyout as a lot of a lot of you would have heard since you're from cbs i'm expecting is also a part of private equity growth capital is private equity distressed buyout is private equity and mezzanine financing or all of these fancy terms are technically private equity but what we are focusing on today is leverage buyout and why are we saying that is because private equity when we call it in a general colloquial sense when we tell the other person okay this pe is investing so much we are talking more or less always about leverage buyout for a vc we call it a vc for both capital we call it a pe again but growth capital is what like a very minuscule part of it similarly distressed buyout is something which is very very peculiar mezzanine financing is not even heard in the market uh, mostly so our idea is today to discuss leverage buyouts and what you'll also see is that majority of these forms of private equity that i'm showing here on the screen all of them in a way manage money and like i'll pick on it later as well but they don't manage their own money they manage someone else's money and this is how they seek to generate wealth and this is the core of private equity as well so when you guys are just taking money and like moving it around what exactly are you like i don't want any terms or say fancy as jargon from finance i just want to know what you think a private equity is when it's just moving money around uh, what a very layman would say what is private equity doing in its bare essence i guess um, if there's a particular company or an entity where um growth prospects are seen uh, for the money i mean for example you feel that the company would do well in the future mm-hmm. then you and you feel that they it'll it might do well so basically you invest some of the capital from okay. the people so very well elaborated but just dig deeper into it like we don't even need to talk about companies we don't even need to talk about businesses when you are saying that okay you as an individual are taking money investing in a company and more money is coming out that essentially means that you're adding value through your own process right and that process that input that comes as is less money you are the process that is your private equity and more money is coming out so that's the output so that makes private equity nothing less than a money engine and that is how we want you to look at as well because private equity like i shared already does not manage its own money so when we've already said that it's a money making machine it's only there for like creating money what are the different ways of handling money that you can think of like someone just shared that okay there are great growth prospects and that's how you'll earn money like investing in that company and after the money you get boom you will just take it out so that's one way what is the other way you can generate money out of say lesser money you don't need fancy ideas guys like i shared you just need basic economics or whatever business understanding you have how can you make more money from less money that's what i'm asking bonds loans okay issuing bonds sir okay that's something uh, we can do but look at it uh, in a slightly narrower sense now look at it from an investing point of view so you have say your friend has given you 1 lakh cash now you're investing in businesses and like not even businesses you're investing anywhere in the world but not the financial markets themselves so you are sort of investing anywhere in the world apart from the financial market how can you make more money out of it like one strategy is to look for companies which are going on a path of growth what else what are the other ways to look at it let's just focus on venture so when someone says venture capital you already get an idea right how does one make money out of a venture that's the idea that we're exploring here 
in terms of private equity. So what do you think? What's your greatest hunch that comes to your mind? It need not be perfect. It just your bare understanding would also work. Uh, this would include uh, investing in early stage startups or maybe after a while and uh, getting out after a period of years, maybe something like that. Exactly. So when you say a venture capital, you're making sort of a distinction that okay, it's not a mature company. That's you're saying it's a new venture. Like new is sort of prefixed with the word venture, right? So whenever you're investing in new businesses. and this need not be a business which is just gotten off the ground it needs to be somewhat of a mature business like a venture capital would not invest like an angel investor without a proof of concept without say of cash inflow of sorts so venture capital as uh, someone rightly said works on early stage businesses and after they grow they seek to get their exit and like get more money out of it second we looked at a leverage buyout does anyone like let's start with the bare minimum here uh everyone knows what leverage is right what's the most simplest definition of leverage in finance that we know of borrowing money exactly and why do we borrow money why do we not give it ourselves for everything so that you don't block your own money and use somebody else's so in totality you have greater capital on which you can earn a higher rate on return okay that's one way to look at it okay you're not blocking your own cash what else is there any other benefit that's associated with debt over equity yeah increase profits because when the rate of return is higher than you know the interest you are paying on the uh, leverage capital in ultimately you have a higher profit exactly so when we say it's a leverage buyout guys what we mean exactly is that the company the private equity fund is using more of leverage than their own equity to get share in a business and then picking it along and like one of you already mentioned right it's cheaper than investing your own money as long as the business is earning more than the rate of return so that is the idea we are exploring here as well so leverage buyout in its bare essence means nothing that you're investing money but more of it is in the form of debt and for that debt you're also using the company you're looking to acquire so it's a very complex transaction we'll be working towards it towards the end but yeah that's the idea of a leverage buyout it's very much in the name you use more of debt than your own cash and we'll be talking about the structure of private equities as well but yeah this is more or less on the leverage buyout and majorly how private equity businesses work third we look at growth capital and again it's in the name so i'll take just one quickest answer that i can get here what do we mean by growth capital here what could it mean by just the word growth it would mean infusing capital so that we would able to expand faster or uh, bottleneck the system okay but in that sense tell me why wouldn't uh, those companies themselves go and get money from banks or otherwise include uh, strategic investors as well okay well, no, i'm just saying you're on the right path i'm just looking to make a narrower definition out of it so one thing we've already obviously excluded here here is that of ventures right when you're talking of growth venture growth capital you're obviously not talking of early stage companies you're talking of companies which have a steady cash flow which are sort of mature which are almost there but we need money for growth why is it that it's better to get money from a private equity player versus say some external entity there could be various reasons now that mm-hmm. i'm sure of the probably it is cheaper i mean you don't have an interest cost to pay um maybe the terms of our acquisition are you know are a bit more relaxed okay we'll sit on it and we'll come back i think you will have a better idea after we discuss the other two so that we can just narrow down this definition further why is it that companies are taking money from private equity for their growth instead of say going to a other players where they can get the money getting an ipo or say even banks for that matter distressed buyout again very simple from the name itself what do you think what is a distressed buyout we've already talked about a distressed buyout probably a company is about you know on the verge of failing and you know you feel that if you can um, you know acquire the company the company is actually cheaper um i mean it's available cheaper than what its value is so even if the company let's say fails um you might be able to you know sell its assets and still generate a higher amount okay sell its assets one 
is there any other paths that you can take say you've identified a company which is sort of in distress almost on the verge of bankruptcy you think it's very very cheap one thing you can do is you buy it and then you sell its asset what is the other path you can take just build on your thinking what can you do with a distressed company that you cannot do with a normal company i mean acquire it with some other company acquire it and probably use its you know existing network uh, to basically benefit yourself like a very recent example of lakshmi vilas bank it was distressed but uh, i guess there is this bank and forgot the name who acquired it and probably can leverage its network in south okay and by leveraging what we also have the connotation here and you would have heard this word tons of places is turned around so a lot of times you feel that this company is not doing so well because of operational inefficiencies because of its capital structure because of xyz reason and that's why it's in distress and you can turn this company around and make a greater profit by just say like turning it around than say selling its assets so that's what a distressed buyout is that's what the idea behind a private equity for distressed buyout is and finally we have mezzanine financing which is very much lesser used now but it's again in the name a lot of you would have heard about mezzanine during the say 2009 financial crisis so just on the word mezzanine what does mezzanine mean here what is the meaning of mezzanine alone nothing else what is mezzanine just the meaning of the only the word mezzanine no um, are they um, basically uh, subprime loans um not exactly subprime loans unsecured But, which do not have an asset backing them no no uh like yeah subprime crisis was built on that but it's in a slightly different connotation so think of the instruments which led to the subprime crisis like that's a big big hint and the way they are placed within the capital structure of the firm unsecured loans okay unsecured loans so say you've taken an unsecured loans you as a company have say presently you have equity and you have debt where would you place those unsecured loans in the priority under of payment under debt okay under debt but would they have a secondary interest to debt or would they come before the debt itself secondary to debt exactly so yeah that is the idea behind the word mezzanine guys it's not primarily for unsecured loans but the idea here is that Uh, private equity helps firms with the money which sits somewhere between debt and equity so it's sort of preferred equity but sort of above that as well at times so you can take it as first you pay the debt obligations then you pay the mezzanine funds that you own and then you pay the equity shareholders so that is the sort of financing which takes place there and it's very much less in use now so we won't be talking about it much but let's just come back to the idea of growth capital now not we've discussed all the other types of technical private equity which are there any ideas on growth capital why would companies go for growth capital from private equity and not otherwise from say external sources think like a ceo you have say robust lofty expansion plans there's uh, probably no other way you can get this much money so the quantum becomes important right and you think that Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it could be probably that you know a company who is you know probably not eligible to get a bank loan because it does not have a lot of assets backing it. Um, so you know uh, the CEO might think that it's better to have some growth capital from some investors, um, and of course people high net worth individuals or institutions who could invest heavily in a company and the company would use that capital to expand. All right. now that you've already brought in the topic of growth capital i i am just tempted to look at it from a recent very very recent like example which like boomed everywhere on social media when it happened last year what is a company which was growing amazingly well and then it had a steady cash flow but it needed yet more money so it raised ridiculous amounts of money during the pandemic itself i'm pretty sure you know about it exactly it's geo guys so growth capital just link it to geo that geo had a steady cash flow it had no operational inefficiencies but still it wanted to go big but it couldn't because no other like player in its right point would finance it right because they don't have that risk appetite they don't have that say sort of love for money that 
okay they'd be sabotaging say uh, their businesses for, for that higher risk so that's where growth capital comes in that's what makes this particular instrument so so much linked to leverage payout as well like after venture capital and leverage buyout i think growth capital is the one which takes the stage so just link it to that example and i think you would be good to go and like on this slide we've seen various ways that money can be man managed right after you get some money you can invest it in early stage ventures you can get more debt and like invest a heavier amount in a company which is doing great you can help the growth of a company which is already doing great you can get a company which is doing bad and then you can turn it around through distress buyout or say you can just give a money to a company which is at a higher interest rate than that for uh, a company which is not probably getting the enough money from the market itself and get yourself place above the equity shareholders as well so these are the ideas behind private financing and since we've already discussed it and i think I'm, but let's just look at it at a layer deeper and in the very context that we're looking at now how would you as a private equity fund handle money in a pandemic what would be your priorities where would you go where would you not go and what are the changes you'd make in your model like it can be anything it can be sectoral splits it can be according to how much ticket amount you're giving any ideas that come to your mind this is the last small section of this entire basics part so we'll be jumping into the more meatier part now but just some ideas on how would you manage money in the pandemic itself um i guess um when you manage money in a pandemic it's important that you uh, ensure that you get your money back uh, the principal money is safe so you would look to invest in probably more credit worthy assets um okay. and that's what happened in us recently too that the banks who were giving out home loans were um, giving it to credit worthy individuals rather than people subprime individuals and uh, yeah that was something moreover um, let's say if it's a pandemic you are unsure that you know which sectors would perform which sectors might not perform so sectors you know where it requires people to um, you know basically get on get on the roads get on the streets and buy it's probably not in those sectors for example cinemas or um, industries which require movement of people or uh, like travel tourism um, basically hospitality sectors so those are the sectors i might not invest in i might look for um, investing in you know technologically internet companies and um, if not any of them probably you know government treasury bonds or something if you want safety of capital as a priority all right very well put three key takeaways first you are more risk averse third you won't invest in b2c businesses which require direct physical contact third you'd look towards more digital outspaces and investment themes which are emerging any other ideas that we have we'll take two more look at it from a money manager's point of view you're managing money you're not doing anything else you'll probably guide your businesses okay how will you go around it after you give the money but you're just managing money you're not like doing anything else you're just investing not investing these are the two choices that you have so the choice now becomes how will you invest and that is the choice we're exploring here one last question before we move on guys do you think private equity would go down or would it go up during a pandemic the total amount of investments which are there would it go down or would it go up um i feel there is no yes uh, a particular yes or no okay. um so i mean i might stand somewhere in between depends on the situation okay one uh, is... yes it matters on number of uh, factors the which sector you're investing in if you are investing in pharma then definitely it will go up uh, or in the grocery it will go up but if you invest in uh, luxury goods uh, like purchasing car or something else so yeah it is not very attractive or encouraging guys i was in cbs i know these answers like you are on the fence i know you are on the fence but just take a side here overall like regardless of sectoral splits and regardless of any other factors which you probably don't have information on just by the very fact that private equity invest in businesses money which is not their own do you think it would go up or down in the pandemic that's the only hello yeah yeah i would say uh, that the private equity equity would go up as uh, since the valuation of uh, during the pandemic valuation of um, many companies went down so mm -hmm. i would uh, i would say that uh, they would seek for investment and the private equity investors are happy to give because their their entire stock market collapse something like that 
so i would say that okay do we have any devils advocate here saying no uh, they probably would be more risk averse they wouldn't invest as much anyone who here thinks the other way around that it should probably go down so i think it will go down but if we look at it in a short term perspective maybe uh, it will go down but uh, if we take it as a long term uh, asset then i think it will definitely climb up so okay again no need to call me sir guys okay so we have three perspectives it will go up it will go down and it will remain neutral let me share some data here and feel free to absorb it in what i have plotted here is the annual private equity investments in india in billions of dollars over the past decade and i've also put in the number of deals which are happening and like a lot of you were on the sense but you'd see that they climbed pretty heftily guys they jumped almost 40% in the past year and i wouldn't say that it's not biased data because like 40% of it is account of only reliance because reliance retail raise like 6 billion jio raise like 20 billion so a lot of it is that money as well like 40% of it is that money but you'd still see there's still a remarkable jump and like that's to be appreciated guys like someone pointed out there are two reasons why i think that could have happened first is obviously because companies are having a lower valuation they don't have money much expectations as well so they'll be giving out equity for free second is because during the pandemic you'd have seen that many more businesses came up swiggy lo- uh, launched its hyperlocal arm and then like a lot of companies innovated in the edutech space health tech boom practically boomed and like we have teleconferencing we have everything which we couldn't even think of 2 years back so all of these new ideas are really exciting to investors and this is what is driving india's private equity growth as well india as a rising tiger nation of the east is surely taking its share in private equity as well and one small observation here that you would have also seen is the number of deals the number of deals climbed up as well but as i share like 40% of the 62 is comprised of just reliance related private equity deals so what does that number indicate to you like if i just shove off like 26 million from here it will be around 36 it will fall below 45 and the number of deals are growing up so if the number of deals are rising and the total num- total amount of investments is going down what does that imply what would it mean yeah that just indicates that the ticket sizes are going down guys because the number of deals has increased dramatically 40% of this money is going to jio and that just means that private equity companies are more conservative in the way they spend money and that's why the entire ticket size they're going uh, doing is going down but the number of deals they're going is going up so that was another insight from this with this we'll be exploring the private inner workings of sorry the inner workings of a private equity fund and uh, thank you for pointing it in the right direction let's just jump there thanks anand take the stage thank you ayush thank you so much i think guys we're off to a great start although a bit over time but nonetheless a great start uh, so i'll quickly jump into what is going to be covered next that is the inner workings of a private equity fund uh can you move on ayush yeah thanks so quick question how do you think a pe fund is structured is it a company is it a trust is it a partnership any comments on that quick comments can be basically be institutional investor or an individual hni okay so uh, shikhar yes it's a partnership firm uh, shivansh institutional investors are the limited partners in that partnership firm correct uh, can we move on to the next slide ayush please yeah so uh, don't get scared i know it looks tad bit complicated but bear with me and we'll unravel it very quickly and very clearly so a private equity firm or fund first starts with a sponsor who's a sponsor a sponsor is a financial entity that wants to set up a private equity fund so uh, you might have heard of these various groups kotak group icici group all these can become a sponsor okay a rough a rough example could be say there is a firm or a company which wants to which has identified a good investment opportunity but lacks the funds to invest so what can it do it can get funds from other partners by instituting a private equity fund okay so once we have a sponsor the next step is to establish a private fund which is as shivansh correctly mentioned a limited liability partnership a limited partnership 
So guys, I think you all are from commerce background. You already know what is a limited partnership. Sorry. Actually, uh, when we talk about limited, it's not on the number of uh, partners. Limited is in terms of liability. So you, you guys know about limited liability company, right? A limited partnership is limited by the way of liability, correct? The partner's liability cannot exceed the amount agreed to be contributed by them by them to the fund. So it's a kind of safety net. So for example, if 10 people are coming together, then nine of them can be limited partners. That means in case of any mishappening or unfortunate incident, their personal assets cannot be captured for the firm's purpose. So it's a safety net for the investors. Okay. So once we know that private fund has been established as a limited partnership, it should have at least one partner whose liability is unlimited. So that is our general partner, which is same as sponsor entity. Okay. So as a next step, what a general partner or a sponsor would do is it would start searching for other partners who would put their money into the fund. Okay. Here, the track record of the sponsor, its credibility comes into picture and it's very important. You and I cannot set up a private equity fund, right? We need some credibility and yes, I can manage your money. You can trust me. The second step that uh, the sponsor would take is establish an investment advisory entity, as you can see on your left, right? So what this investment advisor does is it manages the private equity fund. So what is private equity fund in itself? It's nothing but a pool of money, nothing uh, in front of it, nothing at the back of it, just a pool of money lying around. So you need someone to manage it, right? So for that purpose, an investment advisor is, is established and appointed for that. So typically there's an agreement which is called investment advisory agreement between the private fund and the investment advisor. Okay. And uh, investment advisor provides services such as uh, managing their money, uh, managing their money and evaluating investments where to put the money into and how to re uh, repay the investors whenever the time comes and so on. So the day-to-day -day functioning of the fund is handled by this investment advisor. Okay. And in exchange for this service, what does it get? It gets something called management fees. So management fees is typically around 2% of the AUM. You guys know about AUM, correct? Assets under management is a total commitment of capital from the investors. So if the investors have agreed to contribute say $200 million to the fund, 2% of that would be $4 million, which would be the annual fees for investment advisors. It's usually a hefty amount because you all know private equity is a lucrative job opportunity. Correct. So when we talk about someone is working in a PE firm, what we say is he's working in this, in that investment advisory firm. Okay. So this is important for your basic understanding of the PE structure. Okay. Once these things are in place, uh, the next step would be to raise funds from the limited partners. So for example, a, a company started a $200 million funds. Okay. Then an investment advisor is appointed for that firm. Now the company exhausts all the funds. So it invests wherever it wants to those, those dollars. Okay. So what the company can do is it can raise another fund that typically is in the range of one, two, three, four, for example, Mirai asset management funds, one in that form, in that form, two, three, four, and there's a common investment advisor, which results in economies of scale, as you all know, correct? Because a single firm is managing four or five funds, the cost gets distributed. Okay. So once the private fund and all its structure is established at its bare bones, the next step is to invest in portfolio companies here again, another, uh, another way of earning money comes into picture. Okay. So portfolio company fees is charged by the investment advisor from all the portfolio companies. Why? Because the investment advisor is managing those companies, correct? So once a private equity firm takes over a company, it manages those companies in and out, right? So for that purpose, uh, a fees is charged, which is called portfolio company fees. So what typical arrangement happens is, uh, this management fees, which is charged from the fund itself is offset to an extent by the portfolio company fees. Okay. So if for in our example, if I was charging $4 million from the private fund as an investment advisor, so I, and if I'm getting $3 million from the portfolio company fees, then I'll only take $1 million from them. Okay. Typically this happens. It's not a rule of thumb, but it happens. A few more additional pointers I would like to point out here is, so what do you think is, is a horizon of one fund? So I have raised one fund. Okay. So what is the horizon for that from end to end? A private equity fund is formed with the purpose of investing in investing companies and returning the amounts to the uh, investors. Okay. So it, its primary purpose is to, its primary aim is to uh, make money through investing in other companies. Okay. That's the PE firm for you. Can be any form as I use, I use mentioned growth capital firm or a venture capital firm and so on. But a hedge fund uses different kinds of ways to make money. It's, it need not be limited to just investing in a company. Okay. So for example, a hedge fund could be involved in option strategy, complex options or algorithms to make money and return to the shareholders, not shareholders, investors. I mean, a, a hedge fund is quite, it's even less regulated than a private equity firm. Okay. About the horizon, a typical private equity fund 
life is around 10 to 12 years okay so if today i'm raising some funds from my investors i'll keep those funds up to 10 years and i'll have to return it back to them okay so it's very illiquid form of capital you know that right because the investors cannot ask money back in in between 10 years any time they cannot ask like they have to just forget about it uh so uh, what happens is the fund is raised for 8 to 10 year 10 to 12 years sorry and then it is invested into companies which have horizon of 3 to 5 years so 3 to 5 years was correct in a sense so if i'm raising some funds today i will find some investment opportunity say i'll find it after 2 years so i invest that money after 2 years then for 5 4 5 years i'll keep that fund in the company i'll get my money back okay that's how it happens so it's not just about one company it's about 5 6 7 companies depending on the size of the funds raised Uh, another point here is so if today i am raising so if today i am raising funds okay so it's not like i am receiving the funds today itself because i don't have an investment opportunity today okay if i am so it's called the 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 technical term for that that is capital calls okay so if i am having investment opportunity after 2 years i'll make a capital call to my limited partners who will then supply those funds to me on call because i have already received their commitments in the beginning okay that was this year 0 Out of the twelve years, ten to twelve years. So today, I'm receiving their commitments that yes, whenever I call upon you, you'll give me your money. Done. Then, say after two years, I find an investment opportunity for hundred million dollars. I get those funds. So after four years, I find another investment opportunity for two hundred million dollars. I get those funds. Okay, and that's how it works. Now, uh, just one question: uh, Could you repeat what portfolio company fees is? So portfolio company fees is the fees charged by investment advisor for managing those portfolio companies. So once a private equity firm takes over a, a portfolio company. so it typically takes over its operations right its operations it it is managing its operations it is trying to improve the ratios various ratios ev to ebitda ratios it's trying to increase its efficiency so that multiple returns can be gained over a period of time right so for all this purpose a portfolio fees is charged right over okay. it thank you yeah as i already talked about distribution right okay so how does the money gets distributed after an investment is realized so for example today you are investing in a company 100 million dollars after 4 years you are taking out 200 million dollars and leaving that company okay so you have made 200 million dollars in a matter of 4 years now what do you do with that money and how that money is being distributed to the investors or whoever has contributed in this entire process so for this purpose we have this approach called distribution waterfall model okay Uh, so the first part of the money goes back to the original investors to the extent of their original capital commitment if i had gotten 100 million dollars from them i'll take those million to 100 million dollars i'll return them to the original investors okay the next is i will return again to the original investors but to the extent of the hurdle rate so any guesses guys on what is the hurdle rate so hurdle rate is some minimum rate which is pre decided at the time of entering into an p agreement okay so we know that this is a limited partnership agreement so in that agreement itself it is decided say 8 to 9% 8 or 9% of the returns would have to be given to me as a limited partner okay so say if it is 8% and if i am investing today 100 million dollars as a limited partner so in 4 years i would want 132 million dollars correct 132 million dollars so the hurdle rate would cover 32 million dollars here so that is the second tranche okay even after that some money is left on the table correct so here comes the concept of carry it is it is uh, like one of the basic concepts of a private equity firm carry what is carry so carry is something which is paid to the general partner irrespective of his or her capital commitment okay so if i as a general as a general partner is making the firm earn beyond a particular limit so i would be given some incentive okay so that is the carry so once that carry is provided the rest is divided between the general partner and limited partners right on the next slide i have a good example which is which will clear everything out for you guys okay are you yeah so look at this example guys uh i am a private equity firm i have secured commitments from limited partners to contribute up to 200 million dollars okay whenever i call upon them to do so i cannot find any investment right now i to it i take entire one year to find an investment okay i find an investment i do a capital call of 100 million dollars plus plus Ah, 100 million dollars correct so i receive that money i keep that money in a new firm in my in my portfolio company for a period of 4 years okay during that 4 years what i am earning as a private as a as an investment manager is 2% of management fees every year that will come out that, that that will come up to 16 million dollars guys note here that management fees is earned on the entire capital commitment not just whatever is called upon there's an interesting reason behind that also 
anyone of you would like to take a shot why management fees is charged on the entire capital commitment and not just the called out amount um, because if it is um, done on the called out amount then even if you don't find a good investment you might want to invest and probably that could lead to wastage of money okay that is an interesting take that is a good answer okay any other reasons guys sarthak absolutely you mentioned that that is right but another reason is that i as a private equity firm I, I I'm not finding any investment opportunities right now, correct? But I still have to pay my employees, right? And I am taking that time to find out the investment opportunity for the entire capital commitment, right? I am waiting one year to find the opportunity for entire two hundred million dollars, not just hundred million dollars, right? So for that reason also, I am going to charge on the entire amount because I am finding for the entire amount an investment opportunity. Okay? Then uh, okay, so I have invested in a portfolio company in the first year. I take out my investment in year five. and my 100 million dollars have become 190 million dollars okay so meanwhile what i have charged as an investment manager i have charged 20 million dollars okay for the 5 years 4 million dollars each year and i have uh, and from the exit of my portfolio company i have gotten 190 million dollars so how that money will be distributed look at it now as per our tranche that we saw earlier first of all the entire 120 million dollars would be returned okay to the limited partners because that's what they had brought to the table in the first place after that money has been returned the second step was to give them a hurdle rate correct so for the sake of simplicity what i have assumed here is that entire 120 million dollars was raised together it's not like every year i am raising 4 million dollars to pay as my management fees okay because that would just complicate the calculations nothing much okay so once i have uh, so i have to cover for that hurdle rate which is 48 million dollars for 4 years 5 years i'm sorry so 168 million dollars i have returned to my limited partners okay now comes carry so first uh, so my, as a general partner i know that after i have returned the original investments of 120 million dollars to my limited partners whatever is the remaining will be divided in some ratio that ratio is typically 80 20 okay so 20% is received by general partner it 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 is the trend in the industry so out of 120 million out of out of the 190 million dollars i have sent back 100 million dollars i have sent back 14 million dollars Which is eighty percent, correct? Forty-eight million dollars is eighty percent. So what will be twenty percent of mine would be twelve million dollars, which is called catch-up carry. Am I making sense? Could you repeat this bit once again? Correct. Okay. So as a general partner, I know that whatever I have earned over and above the original capital contributions will be divided in some predetermined ratio, which is typically eighty-twenty. Okay. So after hurdle rate of eight percent is taken care of, which is in our example is forty eight million dollars. I know that I have already paid them forty eight million dollars, which is above their capital commitment, and this is this is supposed to be eighty percent, correct? So my portion would be twenty percent, which I'll take after paying them the eighty percent portion because of the priority thing. Sarthak? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So correct. So I'll receive twelve million dollars as a catch up carry. Okay. So that leaves with me how many uh, dollars? Ten million dollars. Okay, one sixty-eight was exhausted. I have received twelve more as a catch-up carry, which is one seventy, one eighty million dollars exhausted. Out of the ten million dollars, you simply divided into ratio of eighty twenty. So this is how a typical distribution happens, and this I have done only for year five. So this is for one company. So say in year three, there's another company's investment. So I do another capital call of fifty million dollars. I invest in another company. and this gets repeated repeated till the life of the fund of 10 years any questions guys i am done with these inner workings of a pe firm i hope it helped in clarifying your understanding about the pe firms and its functioning you can strike up a good conversation with anyone after this if no questions then i would like to hand it over to shreyas uh, anand there is a question in chat prema is asking what is the expected rate of return after 10 years a private equity firm expected rate of return is, is anywhere between i think 25% to 35% it's very subjective it's it's somewhat higher in developing countries like india in us even 20% is good enough i think so yeah so returns of a private equity firm is measured in different way right yeah so you were mentioning that uh, is it predetermined at the start of the investment itself or uh, Uh, based on the operations, uh, we will get a higher or lower rate of return. 
it's absolutely based on the operations only the hurdle rate is decided in advance only the hurdle rate and so even if the hurdle rate, rate is the minimum uh, return that we will get yeah. right and even if hurdle rate is not met then nothing can be done about it it's just about this priority distribution hurdle rate is important for that only okay so as i mentioned it all depends on the track record of the private equity fund sponsors so if you want to if you want to raise another set of funds then if you are not able to pay in the first set or itself nobody will come to you and give you money right yeah understood great thank you guys over to you shreyas thank you thank you anand so uh, so far you know both ayush as well as anand uh, they discussed about what exactly do we mean by private equity and what is the basic structure of private equity as well as the waterfall model which anand explained so i i guess we can move on to the next part of it here we are going to talk about the portfolio companies here and how exactly does a private equity benefit these portfolio companies ayush can you move on yeah so uh, when we you know talk of private equity firms uh, many of these firms often uh, get a bad rap so here we see that there is this view of private equity firms you know being uh, takeover firms so these are firms which essentially take over a company lay off certain employees sometimes sell off certain assets and they essentially try to reduce cost and then sell off what what remains get returns and then leave so one uh, one particular recent example that i think some of you might know about is that of taylor swift particularly taylor swift's music uh, are there any taylor swift fans or you know here who know what i'm talking about feel free to just join no no taylor swift no swifties here okay fine so uh, i'll just you know uh, give that example here so what happens with this particular uh, taylor swift case is that there was this one pe firm who helped uh, a music manager as well as his holding company to get to your, to your, to buy the recording company which taylor swift was associated with so she lost access she lost rights to all the all the recorded songs as well as the Uh, albums which you know she had recorded over the past decade or so and she had written a very lengthy post to call out the unregulated pe industry because of which she no longer has rights to her music and she is re-recording everything now so you know when we look at these examples uh, here we see that uh, we get an idea about the scope of the industries which you know pe actually touches so it is not just about a few manufacturing or it companies uh, which are involved with private equities but there are several different uh, companies in several different industries actually however uh, if we talk about the flip side of the coin here we see that these companies the private equity companies have existed for decades and they still exist which essentially means that there is something positive delta that we are you know getting out of these companies so this is what we are going to talk about here in terms of how these companies actually create value Uh, ayush can you move on to the next so one particular strategy that you know uh, which typically these firms use is that of governance engineering uh, so anybody does you know does anybody have idea about what exactly do we mean by governance engineering no one okay uh, so i'll i'll just continue here so private equity firms are you know typically driven by uh, realizable value growth so as anand had also mentioned for each and every portfolio company the total horizon period is typically 5 to 6 years so what this means is that these pe firms are not actually looking to you know help these portfolio companies achieve long term growth what they are looking after is how exactly can we achieve growth in let's say coming 4 to 5 years so that we can find a potential buyer who would you know take this firm off of us and when we think about bringing about such a change in such a short period of time we actually need change uh, which can percolate from the top itself so that is what we mean by you know uh, governance engineering this this particular change has to stop has to start from the top management if you think about just bringing bringing changes in let's say the mid or the bottom layer of the management without any kind of support from the top layer then in most of the cases it is actually quite difficult to do so so we uh, so what what essentially happens here is that there is a group of shareholders from these pe firms as well as a board of directors and the c suite so these people uh, have a common idea as well as an understanding of the objective or the goal that they want to achieve in let's say 4 to 5 years and in order to achieve this particular goal these companies uh, 
these group of people then decide what should be the business decisions that we take and in what particular direction should you know we move forward to so certain examples here could be in terms of let's say product development uh, a pe firm uh, you know advises to launch a particular new product or it could also be in terms of uh, moving on to a new geography or it could also be in terms of hiring or uh, or retention of the talent that is present in the company so this you know this this i think should give you an idea about what do we mean by uh, governance engineering apart from that uh, as i talked about how uh, sometimes the pe firms are actually not able to work with the current management um, uh, current management or current top management of these portfolio companies so one very famous example of that is that of toys r us I'm, i mean i'm not sure if you guys know i i, I mean i think most of you might know about toys of uh, toys r us which got bankrupt a few years back but when a pe firm had taken over toys r us they found out the current management was actually not you know capable to achieve the objectives which the pe firm wanted so they completely replaced uh, the entire top management with new with new team so you know this also actually uh, kind of gives a bad image to pe but it is what it is in you know in in governance engineering so the next thing that we're going to talk about over here is that of saving money so uh, saving money essentially what what i'm talking about here is financial engineering so can you guys think of you know ways in which uh, this take place the financial engineering takes place in a portfolio company anyone fine so so one one basic example here could be that of you know cash infusion we know that these pe firms have deeper pockets so that they can use this money and they can put it in this portfolio companies which will help these companies to uh, let's say as i previously mentioned get into the new geographies launch new products etc but other than that uh, the another major important aspect of this financial engineering is that of uh, management incentive plans so do you guys know about employee stock options i, I mean i'm i'm guessing some of you yeah. might know yeah so uh, sarthak can you tell what are the benefits what do you think is the benefit of providing this employee stock options i guess when you align the incentives of everybody working in the company to create more value for the company then people are more motivated so what i mean to say is that for example um if you have a stake if you as an employee have a stake in the company you are working you would obviously want the company to grow right the more the company grows the more your investment grows the more your stocks uh, grow so you would always um, try to create value for the company and give in your best and not just complete your employee duty but care much more than that for the company absolutely absolutely sarthak i couldn't have explained it any better so with these you know uh, management incentive plans the goal of these pe's essentially is to reduce the dependence of the salary on the cash component and you know increase the dependence on equity component as i mentioned it helps both ways uh, for the employees as well as as well as the pe firm from the employee perspective they feel that they are more valued now they are not just a passive part of the organization but actually they have some kind of ownership with it and in terms of how it benefits the pe firms so as these employees take action which will help to you know increase the share value pe firms will be able to sell off this company and get more money uh, after the horizon period ayush can you move to the next part right and the last strategy uh, here which most of the companies typically use is that of operational efficiency so this this is you know a particular term which many uh, people use i think one one particular per person one participant also talked about uh, operational efficiency how it matters when we think of the overall rate of return so what do you guys think you know uh, we mean by operational efficiency i guess operational efficiency could be achieved in various ways i mean um operational inefficiencies could be for many reasons like um there might be um basically the top management of the firm has some internal conflict uh, you know the supply chain is not uh, well settled and then the employees are not working well um it could be for various reasons and there would be various ways to eliminate that so basically streamlining the operations of the whole company and um, you know taking the company forward in a very sustained and very um, objective manner that would be one of the ways to achieve it correct correct 
that's that's absolutely right so uh, what the pe firms actually do here in order to you know achieve this operational efficiency is that they define the roles as well as the responsibilities for the different employees in the company and what happens here or the or one particular way of doing this is formalizing company policies so these pe firms actually create uh, centralized as well as shared company policies in order to you know reduce redundancy and the end goal here is to try to reduce communication as well as implementation gap so we we talked about in the earlier strategies we talked about you know changing the top management as well as changing the compensation structure all this uh, will maybe help in order to formalize a strategy which will you know help you to achieve to a particular level but if this strategy is not translated uh, to the employees at the mid as, as well as the bottom level then uh, this particular goal might not you know uh, might not be able to achieve so what happens here is these uh, pe firms try to ensure that there is constant communication which is happening along across the entire organization so as to reduce this implementation gap uh, ayush can you move on now this is the last part of our presentation here uh, that is the exit routes so throughout the entire hour you know we we kept talking about how pe firms the only goal of these pe firms is to is to you know uh, get gets taken a particular company make some changes and sell off for a profit but when we say selling off what exactly do we mean by that and how exactly do these pe firms go about when we talk about selling off so the very first way here is that of you know uh, so I, i'll talk about a strategic buyer here uh, the very first way is that of trade sale what do you guys think of you know when you when you see the term strategic buyer so i i'll just give you a give you guys a hint here let's say i have a company which is working uh, with in the it sector and there is a pe firm which has a stake in this company and they are you know trying to sell it off so who would be a strategic buyer for this kind of company a competitor correct absolutely right so when we say that you know a strategic buyer we are essentially talking about a non pe firm uh, which in most of the cases is operating in the same field so the idea here idea behind trade sale is that i am going to find a buyer who would you know realize strategic importance from this company after i have made changes in this after four, uh, you know in in the 4 to 5 years so this particular buyer would you know be willing to pay high amount of money at the present time right now because they would uh, be in a position to realize constant as well as high cash flows in the future so uh, this trade sale is actually one of the most common ways in which uh, these pe firms actually exit and there are also certain other kind of benefits which are associated with uh, trade sale as well one particular benefit here is that of immediate liquidity so uh, in a trade sale this pe firm actually is negotiating with very few uh, buyers here which makes the process much more efficient other than that there are also less number of regulatory regulations as compared to uh, regulatory restrictions as compared to an ipo which also makes the process much more easy as well as efficient so uh, speaking of I ipo uh, ayush can you move to the next so in what particular scenario do you think you know a company would go for an ipo to uh, sell a company sell a portfolio company i mean if nobody else is ready to provide a good value to the company um might it might approach the public for the same okay and what do you think that would depend on you know whether the public actually is ready to and if the if the markets are in a bullish phase and right. people are people have capital to spend why not correct correct absolutely right so uh, when we think of ipo it essentially is directly correlated with the overall market sentiment here i mean for example if we think of the pandemic here where people might not have enough money to you know spend then uh, ipo might not be a good option however if there are the conditions as he mentioned that uh, they are bullish so in this particular scenario a uh, pe firm might just go with with an ipo i think one example last year uh, was that of sbi cards uh, which uh, actually went for an ipo and it it was a success i believe however there are certain disadvantages with 
uh, this particular method uh, do you guys uh, know of any kind of disadvantage with regards to ipo yeah if it is not fully subscribed i mean if it's not subscribed above the 90% limit then you know the whole process is wasted and a lot of money is wasted moreover you need to hire investment banks to uh, basically you know i mean come up with an ipo that requires huge fees also and of course regulatory requirements correct correct absolutely so there are very high transaction costs as well as regulations which are involved in an ipo which makes the entire process you know much more lengthy as well as expensive so ipo is something which you know uh, as per the recent reports uh, the total number of ipo is actually much lesser than that of a trade sale and the second the, the third aspect which i'm going to talk about here ayush can you move to the next slide so yeah the third aspect which i'm going to talk about here is a secondary buyout so what do you think of you know uh, when you see the term secondary buyout okay we can make it break it down here what do you think of the term buyout anyone i mean isn't it similar to a dis, uh, the buyout in distress buyout correct so here when we think of secondary buyout in terms in, in the context of private equity what we are going to talk about here is selling off this particular portfolio company to another uh, pe sponsor uh, which is obviously different than trade sale because in that particular scenario we are talking about a non pe firm so uh, when we when you know we think of a secondary buyout why do you guys think this might be happening any any certain ideas which you guys have in your mind could it just only be because you know if if you are considering an ipo if you are considering a strategic buyer and then you are considering a secondary buyout you feel you know wherever the reward is the highest you might want to go over there and um, if there is a pe who has a different objective so for example i as a pe had an objective of distress buyout but another pe has an objective of growth uh, growth capital so for us the objective was you know just reviving the firm and turn, and turn it around but for another pe the objective might be to you know grow it and help it expand further and generate value from that right absolutely so the, the that one particular reason is correct that sometimes the the pe actually has a different objective with which you know might not align with the management uh, team of that particular company so in this particular case secondary buyout is an option which they look at another particular scenario is that of uh, you know moving on to a next development stage so for example this pe firm helped to develop a particular product and it took around 4 to 5 years but now they believe that they do not really have any kind of expertise with you know marketing or the next stages of development here so in this particular scenario they might you know just move on to a different uh, pe firm here another particular case would be that this pe firm has already realized enough uh, returns from this kind of investment so in this particular scenario as well if the minimum period of investment actually has uh you know passed over and they are actually allowed to sell off this company then uh, then they also might engage in the secondary buyout uh so yeah these are the three primary strategies actually uh, which pe firms actually use uh, to exit a particular portfolio company uh so yeah i think we are right on time and this was all that we had uh, to give you some sort of basic idea of private equity as well as the working and what are the benefits that private equity actually brings to the table uh, ayush anand if you guys want to add anything it's been a pleasure thank you guys for hosting us yes please yeah. feel free to reach out to us over linkedin at any time yes. yeah it yes. was lovely to connect with everyone thanks for manas for hosting the entire session and i'm very sure you would have heard things which you wouldn't find on the internet even so just keep it to yourself and like strike up a conversation on private equity if anyone asks you to so that was the major agenda guys it will also help you in interviews and if you have anything else at all just ping us over linkedin and we'll be happy to help out with that i think we are pretty much on time we started 10 minutes late we are like there here even if you have some questions and answers if you want that round we can do that but still it's all done from our side banners just take it away however you want to proceed okay so i would just like to thank you thank all the speakers for taking out time especially on a sunday evening from their busy schedules uh, and share their value inside valuable insights with our viewers 
so i think uh, if uh, the audience has any questions they can quickly put in the chat or uh, if the speakers are running like short of time then they could uh, approach it on the them on the linkedin or any other platform so guys does anyone have any questions i think lakshya has one question he asks what industry trends do we look at when we are looking uh, for a potential investment so lakshya that's a very very broad question and like even in competitions and everything you'd see that it's so so difficult to do ib and private equity competitions because it take a lot of time right so the bare essence of it is that you have investment teams and say currently in the pandemic health tech is an investment team and then you look for companies in that particular thing so you create a universe of the entire field then you select different kpi select the best companies out of it and for that particular company you create a prospectus for like the gps and the lps which are there okay this is something that we're looking at and that's more or less how you go about it you are absolutely correct just to add on a small thing like typically private equity firms specialize in particular fields right nobody is present everywhere so say a carlyle would invest in consumer goods or say some other firm would invest in some other sector so they have their own expertise and what they typically do is they look for undervalued companies using various kinds of ratios and all of their proprietary uh, content the proprietary metrics they use to see what kind of uh, companies are undervalued how they can add value can they add value in the first place and if they can then they strike up negotiations and conversations with the management to take over try to win their trust and this is a quite interesting process if we meet again we would love to take you through that process as well through some case studies maybe so i think we can call it a day thanks everyone for joining in and uh, we hope you enjoyed the session and gained something from it and we look forward to hosting you again on 22nd of june for the first episode of our social initiative women in finance uh, thank you and have a nice day you may all disperse now thanks manas